Uh, I have never felt more strongly about a subject than what I feel about this subject, and I have not felt like there has been a message that is in a series that is more timely and needed. And I'll just give you, before I get started with this, I'll just talk from uh, my heart for just a moment. And uh, uh, it used to be before the pandemic that we ministers and we church ecclesial people, ecclesia people, the, the church people, whether it's a staff member or a pastor, we were very, very concerned about your Sunday worship experience and what happens in, in, on Wednesday night in Bible study. As a matter of fact, I would say that uh, to some degree that became uh, the, the main focus of the church world uh, of what happened on Sunday. Did we have a good church service? Uh, was there a move of the Holy Ghost? How many members were there? Uh, how many people were committed to the vision through giving? So the, the, the metrics of measuring how a church was doing was members and money. How, how many members do you have coming? How many new people are you bringing into the church? How, how much uh, resources are coming? The resources are coming in to continue the vision of the church. And this would be how uh, a couple of years ago that everyone would have um, would have. Um, measured your church. As a matter of fact, it was not uncommon at all for uh, to go to a conference or someone to see you in town and they'd say, hey man, how's your church? And you'd say, well, doing good. How many of y'all running? How many do you have? And, and boy, preachers and pastors, we would drive for those numbers. We had boards on the wall. We kept calendars and all of those things. Well, I'll just tell you, there's not any pastor that asks another pastor right now, uh, except if they need some help uh, with their own situation. They don't say, how many of y'all have coming right now? <laughs> it, they, they, they just, it just, it's not even relevant anymore. Amen. Because, uh, because, for instance, you guys were sick, I think, last week, and you guys just came back too. Amen. And Brother Andy, good to see you here. Amen. I know you had a rough couple of weeks, and we've been praying for you. And, and so, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, just uh, did you, somebody asked me the other day, had you got them all back I said no they're not all back amen and 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 for whatever reason and, and each person is individual and different and their circumstances are unique and so those metrics have changed I will tell you right now I said we used to be concerned about Sunday and Wednesday the worship experiences I will tell you as your pastor what prompted this series I am more concerned what happens on Monday than what, I ha what happens on Sunday going forward. I am more concerned on what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday than just an hour and a half or two hours on Sunday and an hour and 15 to 30 minutes on Wednesday night. As a matter of fact, if the lights don't work, well, we'll just get used to it. If the sound uh, rings and everything doesn't come just exactly the way it ought to be, we'll get used to it. If one of our music teams is down this week, we'll just deal with it. None of that bothers me anymore. But what I have come to understand is that we had better prepare the church. Everybody say, I am the church. When we use the word church, we are not talking about the building. Now, that's what we had become as a church world. It is all was building-oriented. You'd say, I go to that church on the hill. I go to that 
Pentecostal. I go to that Baptist. I go to that church. That's how we identify. But we are the church. Everybody say, I am the church. And I'm not worried about the condition of a Sunday morning worship experience as much as I am worried or concerned and watchful because that's my job as a pastor as how you're doing on Monday, how your marriage is on Thursday, how your mind is on Tuesday afternoon, how your health is. Are you getting sicker? Are you surviving this disease? So my concerns and the reason that I am uh, preaching and that God has put this in my heart as your pastor that I'm going to be talking about for the next four weeks is not about Sunday or Wednesday night. This is about who you are seven days a week, 365 days a year, and 24-7. Amen. I'm telling you, this is about... You as the church. So what am I trying to accomplish in this series that I have announced in text and we put out on Facebook that I'm uh, asking every member of our church to, to watch it online. If you're not here, if you're sick and you're not able, we're going to send a copy of it out. I am a mentor. I am a pastor of you. I, I am a pastor of other pastors. I have about 11 other men that call me their, their pastor. Some call me their bishop, their overseer, even though they may pastor in four states away. They call me every week. We, we check in. I'm going to ask all of our membership I'm going to ask everyone that I've ever mentored, and I'm going to ask every minister that calls me their bishop to watch this series also. And that puts incredible pressure on me personally, but I don't care because I, I, I have got to get what God has put in my heart into your heart, and if, if, if I die trying, I'm going to create apostolic culture in my life, and I'm going to lead you in a way that you can create apostolic culture in your life. And so what I want, the goal of this series, is to get you to understand the need for apostolic culture, to create apostolic culture, and to reap the benefits in your life of apostolic culture. That is the goal of this next four weeks. And uh, uh, and I'm just going to say this message today in a one-word soundbite is the church must have apostolic culture if the church is going to be what God intended the church to be. Okay, now I've got a lot of work to do because I need to describe to you what culture is. I need to get you to understand how culture is formed. Then I need to describe what apostolic culture is and give you a roadmap of the next three weeks. So I'm going to go to work now. I'm going to ask you to diligently listen as I diligently teach or preach or expound upon the word of the Lord. Culture is defined as the customs, the dress, the arts, the social institutions, the achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social gathering group. It has been said that culture eats strategies lunch. Culture eats strategies lunch. Let me tell you, I'll give you a quick illustration. Well, I'll give you another word, and then I'll give you a quick illustration so you know what that means. When systems 
fail. Culture kicks in, and it keeps things going. For instance, when the lights went out last February, wasn't it last February the lights went out for two weeks or off and on for 10 to 12 days and the freeze came in? It was in February. When the lights went out last February, the system failed. But you went and found a flashlight. And you went and bought wood. And you, my brother, went and got your propane gas grill out and cooked on it for five days with no water or electricity, Brother Charles, in your house. You know why? Because the system had let you down. But the culture that you had in your spirit as a man and a provider and a survivor said, I'm not going to let a system failure derail me. I'm not going to let a circumstance derail me because culture eats strategies lunch. And you can create the right strategy, system, process, but have the wrong culture and it'll never work. But if you create the right culture in a group of people or in an organization or in a community, it will survive. How many of you are Texans here or been long enough to call Texas your home? Been here long enough to call Texas your home? Amen. You've been here long enough to say, well, I'm a Texan. I'm not, I got here. I wasn't born here, but soon got here as soon as I could. Okay, we got Texans in here. Amen. We got people that are, are, are proud Texans, even maybe weren't born here. Amen. But let me just tell you, Texans, anywhere you meet them, have a Texas culture. You, you can be in the middle of Germany or France, Paris, France, and somebody say, where are you from? Now, if you're from Ohio, you're going to say, I'm from the USA. You're from Georgia, you're going to say, I'm from the USA. But if you're from Texas, I promise you, I've been around the world. You're going to say, I'm a Texan. And you know what they're going to say? Oh, Dallas. Because they watch that TV reruns, amen. They play them around the world. JR is still alive somewhere on the other side of the world. Amen. There is a culture of a Texan that is very unique. There's a culture of a Louisianan. There's a culture of a Chicagoan. Amen. I don't even want to mess with him. Amen. Uh-uh, I'll run. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. We're going to stay down here in Texas. Amen. There is, you understand. And when systems fail, culture saves you and keeps you. So you've got to understand this. Why do we need apostolic culture? Why do you need to teach this series on apostolic culture? I'll tell you why we need it. Because of what we've been through for the last 24 months. We need apostolic culture. Because of the times we live in. Everybody say B-O-T-T. That's the conference I just came from. But it's not just a conference name. It is the reality because of the time. I'm telling you, please don't make me stop and preach, amen, because we'll be here a long time, and I hadn't preached in a few weeks, so I got a lot of backed up preaching to do. So help me preach, would you? Because of the times, we need apostolic culture. As we sit here and stand here today, Russia is on the border of Ukraine about to start the first battles of the Third World War that you and I may be facing in a couple of weeks. We need apostolic culture because of the times we're living in. And we need apostolic culture because of what 
we are going to go through. Because if you read your Bible correctly, and I study mine correctly, the Bible said in the last days, perilous times shall come. Oh, we're going to go back to normal. We're going to go back to the way it was. We may go back to the way some things were, but friend of mine, I have a promise for you from the Word of God. Oh, don't preach anything negative. Don't preach it. Come on, pump them up. Pump them. Lie to them a little bit more. A little more false news. I got some reality for you in this house today. The reality is the future. The Bible said iniquity is ever increasing. It's going to get worse tomorrow than it did was today as far as wickedness and iniquity in high places and around us. So we need to create apostolic culture because of that. We must be, as the ministry and the leaders of the movement, more concerned with what happens on Monday than what happens on Sunday. And I'm saying some of this because they're listening on the other side of the world and they'll be listening this evening. Some of our churches in Burma and some of our churches in Africa follow us every single Sunday. So I'm telling you ministers, you need to be more concerned about what happens on Monday than what happens on Sunday. If the lights break down, if the sound box doesn't work, the soundboard doesn't work, Pastor Marcos, it don't matter. Amen. What matters is do we have an apostolic culture that when every system around us breaks down, it keeps us. We must create an apostolic culture that calms us in our crisis, that keeps us anchored in our storm, and that carries us all the way to the end of our life. I'm going to say it again. We must create an apostolic culture that calms us in our crisis, that keeps us in our, anchored in our storm, and that carries us to the end of the way, which is the end of our life. And there, that apostolic culture, if I read the Word of God correct, will usher me in to my eternal reward. So listen, listen carefully. As we take a look back, at the apostolic culture of the Ephesian church. Listen, listen to me, please, like your life depends on it. Listen to what Paul preached and proclaimed as apostolic culture like your eternity depends on it. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, and I'll read from you the word of the Lord to you. Therefore, I a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life, to lead a life, to live a life, to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Please stay with me because I could preach every point here and we'll be here a month. Always, always be gentle, humble, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and in your attitudes. Binding yourselves together with peace. Peace 
should always be the end game of every conversation, every situation. Only a fool likes to make war. Only a fool likes conflict. If you like conflict, just wake up in the morning and poke yourself in the eye. Then you can have conflict with yourself all day long. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body, there is one spirit, and just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led, he led a crown of captives and he gave spoils or gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all of the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself talking about Jesus fulfilling the obligations that he had to be the Savior of the world, and for doing so, became the visible image of the invisible God. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, he gave pastors and teachers. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we, excuse me, uh, uh, until we all come to such a unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord and we will measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So we all have a lot of homework to do. He's still working on me. Somebody say that. I have not got it accomplished yet. I have not quit learning yet. I have not become everything I'm supposed to be in Christ Jesus yet. He's still working on me. Then we will be no longer immature as we are taught by the fivefold ministry. And the, the goal is so that we will not be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us. I'm talking about apostolic culture. This is what apostolic culture looks like. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that are so clever. They sound like the truth. Say false news. Say false news. Oh, what? No, no, fake news. Say fake news. Okay, let's just take it to the next level. Say propaganda, because that's really what it is. And what is propaganda? Propaganda is fake news that tells you a narrative they want you to believe to get you where you, they want you to be. We are living in a generation that you'd better be able to tell the difference. How do I tell the difference? You're going to do it through apostolic culture. Can you say amen? All right, let me move on. Somebody uh, uh, texted me here. We will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they could be the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, 
the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body will be healthy and growing and full of love. Everybody say healthy, growing, and full of love. This is what apostolic culture will produce in your life. Healthy, growing, and full of love. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Everybody say the world. Everybody say the lost. Everybody say the unbelievers. Live no longer as the world does. For they are hopelessly confused. Pause for emphasis. How many recognizes that the world is hopelessly confused? You just hear stuff and you go, my God, there's no way in the world that'll work. What are they talking about? This is insane. The world is hopelessly confused. Don't live like the world. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts towards God. They're, they're blinded in their mind because they've closed their eyes and hardened their heart towards God. Ah, oh, that church stuff, all the people, that church, oh, that religion stuff, that denomination. I'm talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about denominationalism, which causes division. I'm talking about the true apostolic church that is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, who's through all, in all, and above us all, and in us all. Everybody say all. He said they have no sense of shame, speaking of the world. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned through Christ. That isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your sinful, your old sinful nature. Throw off. You have to throw it off. Pastor's not going to police you. I can't police you. I, I can't multiply myself enough. You know the average church size in America is 85? It's actually 76. But the 85 was the number pre-pandemic. You know why it's 85? Because people prefer a pastor to police them. And one man cannot police more than about 80 people. There's studies, you can Google it when you get home. We have broke some of those yokes by multiplying the number of pastors we have in this church. We have four in this church. We have another church in the Dallas area that has a pastor. Five total pastors of the Temple Christian Center. So by multiplying our pastors, we've multiplied our ability to have more people participate in the Temple Christian Center. But it's time that we break that yoke of 80 per pastor and say, I'm not putting on another pastor so we can add 80 more people to the church. It's time we understand that each one of us have to take 
personal responsibility for our salvation and our eternal security and how we live on Monday and how we live on Tuesday and how we... I'm not mad at you. I've just got this fervor in my heart. I'm sick and tired of people coming in church clothes on Sunday and having an affair on Monday. I'm sick and tired of seeing people lose the faith uh, when coronavirus moves in. Uh, You know why? It's because we abandon the apostolic culture. And I'm not putting it on you. I'm putting it on us. Uh, The pulpit, the ministry. So more than Sunday services, more than the singing, uh, more than the lights, uh, and all the systems, uh, they can all fail. But we better build an apostolic culture that when every system fails, uh, and I can't get to the house of the Lord because I'm COVID positive, I'm not going to lose the faith. Uh, I'm not going to backslide. When I can't get my kids uh, to a Sunday school class, uh, I know it's my responsibility to train up a child in the way that he should go. He said, that isn't how you learn Christ. You heard it. You learn him. He said, he said, since I've come to you, you've heard Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off the sinful nature. Throw off your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. I was coming to church this morning. I'm having a deal because I'm that age and I've been pastoring for a long time. So I'm seen as an overseer or a bishop. And so I'm on councils and committees. And so I'm having a deal with a a terrible failure in ministry situation. And it's heartbreaking. So every night I fall asleep saying, God, how could I have helped this minister? What should have I done? I know he lives a long way off, but what could I have done to to stop this and, and then some of your own marriages and some of your own ways of life have you, you, you found, found immorality but I, I was thinking today you know the devil never tells you the truth if the devil could show you what an affair would cost you if he really would show you what an affair would cost you how much your kids are going to hate you how much money it's going to cost you how embarrassed and humiliated and shameful it's going to be. If he showed you all of that and slid it over on the table and said, now, choose all of this misery and hell and situation and destruction and restarting your entire life. Choose that or choose the affair. There wouldn't be anybody that would have an affair. You'd say, oh, no, hell no, hell no. I ain't going through that hell. I'm not going through that. I'm not going through that. That's nothing but a lie from the devil. I'm not going through that. I'm not. And you need to understand that you have positioned yourself to believe a lie unless you're living an apostolic culture that is connected to Christ Jesus. Unless you get up every single day and renew and connect your relationship and fellowship of prayer to Him. I promise you, if you don't do that, you're setting yourself up for deception And lust of your flesh. And lust is lust. Is lust. Is lust. Young man came to me when I was a youth pastor. 35 years ago. He said, Pastor, you need to pray for me. That God takes the desire from women from me. And he said, he was a 22 year old man. And he said, or 21 year old man. And he said, before I came to the Lord, I was in sexual relationship with a woman for over a year and now that I've come to the Lord uh, that, that, that's given me a lot of problem and I, and I see young ladies in the church and, and I'm thinking these thoughts about them and, and pastor 
I need you to pray that God takes those thoughts from me. I looked at him straight in the eye and I said, no. I can't pray your lust away. As a matter of fact, that lust is there for a reason. He said, well, what am I going to do if you don't pray it away? I said, I prayed it away from you. Boy, you'd be a homosexual. I'm telling you what I told him. If I prayed your natural desires away from you, you would be unnatural. So what do you do, pastor? What do I do? I said, that's easy. Get you a wife. Get you a wife. So he married my sister. Y'all take that out of the sermon. That's a true story. That's my brother-in-law's story. Oh, yeah. What are you going to do? You can't pray. That's like saying, I'm praying I'll never get hungry again. No, I'm smelling chicken already. Your lust is always with you. You know what you got to do? You got to get up and crucify your lust. You got to get up and say, I'm not giving in to my lust. An apostolic says, it's there, it's real, it could create issues for me, but I ain't putting up with it. I'm not giving in to it. Uh, I'm going to crucify it. I'm going to confess it. Uh, and I'm going to say, God, help me with it. He said, throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which was corrupted by lust and deception instead. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts. Let the Spirit renew your attitudes and put on a new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let, let us all tell our neighbor the truth, uh, for we are parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down on your while you're, uh, you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good works and give generously to others in need. Don't use fool, fool, foolish or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. What did mama say? Mama said, if you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing at all. She's quoting the scripture. Let every word that comes out of your mouth be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those that hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own children. When you, how many remembers my sermon, first sermon of the year, associated with the sacred? You need to remember that you are associated with the King of Kings. And the, well, I'm associated with the Temple Christian Center. Lord, that won't stop you from lying. I'm associated with the United Pentecostal Church. That won't stop you from sinning. I'm associated with uh, the youth or the, this team or that team or that group. That won't stop you. The only thing that will stop you from sinning is to remember that I am associated with the King of Kings uh, and the Lord of Lords. Uh, he is my God. Uh, he is my helper. Uh, he is my strength. Uh, he is my Father. He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. I'm going to preach this in the next few weeks. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, 
harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Right there, that says internet. Because the writer knew that there was no way he could make a list of every evil thing a human could do. So he puts it there and get rid of all evil behavior, whatever that is. So we're going to have to determine what is evil behavior, what is good behavior, what is acceptable, what is apostolic behavior, how does an apostolic live, how does an apostolic dress, how does an apostolic talk, how does an apostolic walk. So I don't even know what an apostolic is. Well, good, we're moving to that on the next part right now. He said, get rid of slander and all evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Wouldn't that be nice? Be tender-hearted. Think about it. Forgive one another. And I don't want to stop and preach, but you cannot forgive somebody who has not done you wrong. So that tells me while you're living for God, you're going to get done wrong. Somebody's going to lie about you. They're going to say something about you. Something's going to happen that you are righteously in the right way and somebody's going to make it look like you're not. You're going to have to forgive them if you want to be forgiven just as God through Christ has forgiven you. What an articulate view the Apostle Paul has just shared with the Ephesian church about apostolic culture apostolic culture that's a glimpse at what an apostolic looks like now we move to the mechanics of this message very quickly how do we create culture in ourselves and in our society in our social gatherings in our society in our community and in our world here's how it is it's very simple you go back to your roots and you go back to your values. If you're going to create culture, you go back to your value base. What is significant? What is not significant? What is a priority? And what is a preference? If you want to create culture, you lay down your preferences and you pick up your priorities. We heard a message on Wednesday night. If you weren't here, you can go online and listen to it. What hill do you choose to die on? There are some hills that we must not give up. We cannot give up one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God above all, through all, and in you all. We cannot give that up. But if it is a preference, or a, it is a, it's something we just like, or a, 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 a local Texas culture, or a white man's culture, or a black man's culture, we better lay all of that racisms and every other kind of isms that we can find down, and we better say, I ain't, that, that ain't what Jesus Christ died for. That ain't how the church is supposed to do. We got to go back to a value base. Here's what we did. Get ready. We took culture, and the first thing we did with culture is we institutionalized it. There was a culture that created this community called the United States of America. People got in little bitty boats, not big ocean liners, little bitty ships, and crossed the uncharted seas to get to this country. Many of them lost their life and limb on the way here. But they were trying to get from, away from the tyranny of repressive religion. And they were trying, I'm talking about the pilgrims that landed at Plymouth Rock and the Quakers. Quakers were called Quakers because they used to shake 
while they prayed under the power of the Holy Ghost. These are our fathers that came to this country. I'm not talking about all the evil stuff people have done along the way. The reality of that is there in history and will always be there. I'm talking about the culture that created this country. But as soon as that culture got its foothold on that eastern seaboard, we institutionalized it. And we call it government. The first thing we do to culture is institutionalize it. We try to put boundaries and spectrums and systems that will define our culture and create our culture. But what you need to understand is that the system does not create the culture. But the culture should create the system. So the first thing we did to culture is we institutionalized it. The next thing we did to culture is we industrialized it. We tried to reproduce it. We put it in a factory. We call it nation building. The British called it colonialization where you take Western ideals and Western mindset and the Western way of thought and you try to reproduce it in a Muslim world or on the other side of the world, who people don't have the same values, culture. And we wonder why our industrialized American culture fails in Afghanistan. I'm not going to stop. you got homework. I'm going to mess with you and I'm messing with me. God's been dealing with me. I don't care what happens on Sunday. I care what happens on Monday. I care what happens on Tuesday. We have got to get back to an apostolic culture that we know right from wrong. And we we don't answer to a government or this or that or a political party, Republican or Democrat or any kind of other ideal. We just know that we know that we know through the word of God and a relationship with God that ain't right. I don't care if they say abortion is okay. And I know there are people in the sound of my voice that have had to experience that trauma in their life. And I know that we have a God that's able to forgive. If he can forgive a drug addict and a drug dealer like me, he can forgive anything. But let me tell you and tell you clearly, just because the government says it's okay, it's not okay in an apostolic culture. We took culture and institutionalized it. Then we industrialized it when we were supposed to personalize it. When we were supposed to transfer it to our kids and their kids and their kids. And that culture metastasized through a personalization and passing our value base on. And passionate, and we institutionalized and industrialized it. We wanted the schools to educate our children. And we wanted the churches to keep our kids out of jail and out of hell. When the Bible clearly says that it's your responsibility to train up a child in the way he should go, not a system. Not a little room off over here. My kids ain't learning about Jesus. My God have mercy on you. If that's your words, that means you don't have apostolic culture. Because if there's never another Sunday school class 
or another sound system or another pulpit or they lock the doors of this church. I'm telling you, when every system fails, culture will not fail. And Oh, I'm here to tell you, culture will keep you in your crisis. It will calm you in your storm. To create culture, we must articulate our values. We must understand our values. I'm going to let you take a breath. Everybody take a deep cleansing breath. Everybody stop and just take a deep cleansing breath. Because your brain needs to change gears with me now. Talking about mechanics. Talking about how do you create culture. If it's job culture, Clint, or church culture, you create it exactly the same way. You hear me. But we're going to get to apostolic culture in the next few weeks. And we're going to define our value base. And we're going to, we're going to put our value base on display. And we're going to say, this is what we value. And we're going to say, now this may be what we do. And this is our customs, and this is our preferences, and this is our traditions, and this is what I do as an individual, but that's not necessarily apostolic. Oh, I feel my preach coming on. Because when we raise our own particular views to the level of doctrine, the Bible said we've made the traditions of men equal to the doctrines of God. We got it. So there's some parching and some paring away from some stuff that is not important. That is not necessary because we must lay aside the sin and the weight that does so easily beset us and run the race that is set before us with patience. You are not going to finish the course that we are on carrying a bunch of junk. You're going to have to lay down what is not necessary and make sure you have absolutely what is necessary if you want your marriage to make it, if you want your mind to stay sane, if you want to have enough money to put food on the table, you had better find your way to apostolic culture. To create culture, you must articulate it. It must be understood. It's not enough for me to preach it. you got to say, what does he mean by that? How does that practically apply in my life? So you need to be asking yourself the questions in the next few weeks. Well, how, okay, when they preach that stuff at church, how am I going, what, what do I do with that on Monday? Is that for real or is that just that church stuff? I don't care about the church stuff, Brother Charles. I'm fed up with the church stuff. The church stuff didn't keep us together when we couldn't come together. We just kept saying, I can't wait till we can get back together. And some of us came apart during the middle of the pandemic. And I have to look at it and go, why in God's name did this situation explode and come apart? And why did this happen? And the Lord kept saying, because they had a church culture and not an apostolic culture. We have to articulate it. It has to be understood. And finally, it has to be actualized. Culture is not just theoretical, ideological, historical. Culture is how you live. It must be actualized. But creating culture requires more than just saying the right thing or publishing a list of values online or or, or sending our values out on a text. It's not just another mission statement. It's not just another moment that we write something down. Now, don't misunderstand me. For culture to be created, you must continually 
communicate it, and communicate your values and the desired behaviors you're looking for. But culture is created not by communication, but culture is created by modeling the desired values and behaviors that you choose to see. Simply put, people do what they see. I'm going to expand this thought over the next few weeks. So, now that we understand culture, what it is, our values, our systems, our, our, what we, my behavior, the way, that's my culture. If you're Texan, you like Mexican food, Tex-Mex is what we call it. Because that's Texas culture. We like Tex-Mex. We don't need somebody to tell us we like Tex-Mex. We're Texan. We like Tex-Mex. That's it. Settled. That's what culture will do for you. It will keep you when you don't have an instructor that says, your menu this week should be from the third book. Your culture says, no, 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 no. I need to talk to Jesus. Even when pastor doesn't tell me I need to talk to Jesus. Apostolic culture says, I need to, I need to fast and I need to crucify my flesh Brother Jones may not need to crucify his flesh. Sister Bill may not need to crucify her flesh. Sister Billy Bob or whatever you want to call her. I'm making Billy Bob into a woman. Amen. My God. 2022. If they can put a pregnant man emoji on my phone. Did y'all see that? That happened yesterday. Day before yesterday. It's on your phone. There's a pregnant man emoji. Apple is just introduced to the world. A pregnant man emoji. Emoji. Somebody's looking at somebody and somebody's saying, what is an emoji? It's okay. Don't even figure it out. It ain't worth it. It doesn't matter what somebody else needs. It doesn't matter. I'm not judging my brother. I may need to fast and you may not need to fast. I may need an extra hour of prayer and you may not need that. Apostolic culture creates uh, an individual drive. What is apostolic culture? Let me, let me finish. To understand what apostolic culture is, we have to understand. We just talked about how to create culture. We must understand what culture is. Culture is like a personality in a person. The personality is made up of the values, the beliefs, the underlying assumptions, the interest, the experiences, and the upbringing and the habits that creates a person's behavior. You act the way you act because you're from Chicago. California, Texas, Haiti, you act the way you act because the way your mama raised you. You weren't raised in a barn, boy. I whooped that bottom. Well, I'll just tell you what my mama used to say because there wasn't no CPS in those days. She said, boy, I'll beat you half to death. You ain't lived to you. And I mean, cold chills that go down my spine. Because I've been beaten to three quarters to death before. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. My mama's whipped me with anything she could put her hands on. He said, flies, water, it's, oh, that was easy stuff. I've been whipped with an extension cord. And one time I made the foolhardy mistake of popping off in the kitchen. And she just flattened a butcher knife and beat my bottom with it. I thought she's going to cut me in half. My God, I don't know how I even got on any of this stuff. We're talking about culture. 
It's your personality, your habits, it's your, your behavior. Culture is made up of value, beliefs, underlying assumptions, attitudes, behaviors shared by a group of people, customs, laws, dress, architecture style, social standards, religious belief, and traditions that make up a community or a society are all examples of cultural elements. Culture can be defined uh, as all the ways of life, including arts, beliefs, institutions of populations, that are passed down from one generation to the next generation. So if it's truly a culture you value, Sister Carolyn, you put it in your kids, and you put it in your grandkids. And if we really believe, my God, I feel my help, in the apostolic doctrine, in the apostolic lifestyle, there ain't nobody got to tell me it's my job to put it in my kids and to put it in my grandson. I wake up every single day knowing that it is my responsibility not only to teach Chase and to teach Taylor before him, but to teach Waylon, my grandson, long as he's at my feet or in the car with me or go somewhere with Papa K. It's Papa K's job to say, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We have one faith and one baptism, one God who is above all, through all, and in everybody that seeks Him. Culture includes material goods, the things people use and the things people produce. Culture is also the beliefs and values of the people and the way they think about things, the way they understand the world, and the way they think about their own lives. So I'm, I feel my helper. Pastor showing up right now. You okay? Everybody take a deep breath. I saw somebody post on Facebook, a member of this church the other day. I just don't feel like living anymore. You know why you posted that? Because you don't have apostolic culture. Well, you don't know how depressed I am. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know how my life is, how the systems have broke down. No, you don't practice apostolic culture. And it's my problem, my fault, my job to make sure you practice it. Now, I'm going to preach it, but you got to do it. Because if you practice apostolic culture, it doesn't matter what's going on in your, wor- in your world. Even if you're being eaten to death by COVID, Job said, though these skin worms destroy me, yet... I'm going to worship him and I'm going to see him. Apostolic. Apostolic. How the apostles taught, preached, lived. How the first church did. Not how the United Pentecostal church did. Not how grandma's church did. That's working from here and headed back there. If you want to establish apostolic culture, you've got to go back to the roots and act like the apostles acted and live like they lived and gave like they gave. Culture is the way you see your own life, too. So, what is apostolic culture? Here's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Apostolic culture is powerful prayer. Everybody say it with me, powerful prayer. Powerful prayer is prayer that brings an apostolic demonstration. A culture of prayer that creates a system of prayer. We go visit, because of the times, the Mangans. The Mangans have had unceasing prayer. In their church, unceasing for 50 some odd years. That means every minute of every day of every hour, there is someone in the building praying. They take three hour shifts. They always have more than one there, usually five or six, 
so that if somebody oversleeps or doesn't or is not able to get there, it's covered. And for over 50, I think it may be over 60, I don't even know how many. For over all of those years, they have had a constant prayer going out of that church. So here's what we do. We go to Because of the Times. We hear Sister Vesta Lang Mangan preach about this prayer chain, unbroken prayer chain. And we come back and we say, I know what our church is going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce a system of a prayer chain to the Temple Christian Center. And you're all going to start praying three-hour shifts. And we're going to be doing it for the next 60 years. And you, you, you love me. And you trust me. And you follow me for about three weeks. And you say, this ain't working. You know why it doesn't work? Because the system cannot create the culture of prayer. But a culture of prayer will create a system of prayer. And I can tell you, if you want to get a hold of my mom, you want to get a hold of Christine Sharp, you call her at about 325 tomorrow morning. Because I can tell you where she's going to be. She's going to be on the second step of her kitchen that goes up the three steps that go up into her dining room. For the last 40 years of her life, she has bowed down at those steps. I've heard her call my name when I've snuck in the back door as a little young person and a kid years ago. I've heard her call my others' names. I've heard her pray for people in the church. I've heard her pray for her failing marriage. I've heard her pray for her hopeless situation at those three prayers. Nobody says, Christine, you're going to pray three hours or two hours or every day at three o'clock. Uh, you're going to pray. Uh, but an apostolic culture realizes the power of prayer and says, you couldn't stop me from praying. Uh, it's my secret to success. And it creates its own system. First thing is prayer. Prayer that changes us, prayer that changes others, and prayer that changes our reality. We still have a miracle working God. The next thing that is in apostolic culture is transformational word. The transforming word of God. The, the Bible said... Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye re, uh, transformed from this world by the renewing of your mind. Not by a Holy Ghost experience on a Sunday service. Not by goosebumps when they sing. Not because you heard something good on, on, on a podcast. That's not how you are transformed into the nature of Jesus Christ. You are transformed into the nature of Jesus Christ by falling in love with His words. A culture of loving the Word that makes it easier to live the Word in the life of the believer. A culture of loving the Word that creates a burning desire to not only read the Word, understand the Word, but to share the good news of the Word with everyone you know and everywhere you go. Number four is unbreakable fellowship. Apostolic culture has unbreakable fellowship. A culture of oneness with God and oneness with your brother and your sister. To understand that we are all part of the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head. We are the body. And when you understand that you have fellowship with Him and you have fellowship with them, it creates an uninhibited worship. I am a child of God. 
I am not ashamed of it. I will not, I cannot deny it. Put a gun to my head and say, deny that you're a child of God. How can I do that? All I am and all I've ever been is a blood-bought child of God. Have you been perfect? No. Have you got it all right? No. But I know who I am. I am a, I'm in fellowship with the King of Kings. That would be like trying to tell me I'm not a sharp. I'm a sharp because I was born a sharp. And I am a child of God because I was born of the water and the Spirit. And there's nothing that can change that unbreakable fellowship, a culture of oneness with God that brings uninhibited worship. That's why I'm not ashamed to lift my hands. I'm not ashamed to be called a child of God. I will worship in secret. I will worship in public. And I will worship in any situation, uninhibited worship, if I have apostolic culture, unmeasurable sacrifice. A fellowship that brings immeasurable sacrifice. We had to scrounge around a little money to bury Sister Alma. My wife had to scrounge around a little bit more money to pay her final expenses in life. I found a casket on sale. Did you know you can find a casket on sale? It had a dent in the end. I said, it ain't going to bother me. And it ain't going to bother her. And there's just about four or five of us went to her funeral. And I'm not getting on to you for not going to her funeral. It was a cold, windy day, and you shouldn't have come. It was the height of COVID. I'm, that's not that. Well, don't, don't, don't read that junk in there. You know me. Don't read that in there. I'm just saying I had to find a, a coffin on sale to, to fit the money that we had. For her funeral, it was about five or six thousand, sixty-two hundred, something like that dollars. By the time you did, so we 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 found her a grave. Some people call them paupers' graves because they don't charge you for the grave, but we still had to pay all that money to dig the hole and to put her in the hole and all of that. It was about sixty-two hundred dollars we had to scrounge up. Can I tell you, now that she's dead and gone, that in the last five years she's probably given fifteen thousand dollars above. Her tithe to this church. Why? Because I'm sneaking around whispering in little widow's ears, you need to give all of your money to TCC. They used to have guys that traveled like that when they institutionalized religion. They'd find the old widows and the old people and they'd go in and get them to sign over their estates to the church and all that. I'm telling you the truth. That's what happens when you institutionalize religion. She didn't give. Because somebody snuck around and tricked her into giving. She gave because she was an apostolic uh, in love with Jesus Christ. Uh, and when there was a need, uh, she'd go to her little pantry and she'd find $500 rolled up or crinkled up. And she'd say, put this, Sister Sharp, on this and put this on that. And put, you know why she did that immeasurable sacrifice? Because she had fellowship with the Father. And she said, if there's a cause uh, and I can do anything, about it I'm going to do it culture unbreakable fellowship that brings immeasurable sacrifice and true holiness and I'll be talking about that a culture of oneness with other believers that brings common vision 
determined disciples, effective evangelism, mission-minded members. I'm talking about unbreakable fellowship. And finally, practical relationships. Practical relationships. A culture of breaking bread together that brings joy and generosity to everyone that sits at the table. My wife's in the other room. I don't use this to embarrass her, to amplify our situation, embarrass her to amplify our situation. But when our son died in uh, October of 2019, uh, she was so broken, so broken. And it was just our job as family members, Chase and I and the rest of them that love her and love her just to keep her breathing, just to keep her sucking air down, literally, and keep food in her, just to keep her moving. She was a puddle of a person, a mess. We went away for a month. And uh, in that time of going away, when she was so low, you wonder, you wonder if she could ever even stand to worship again or she could ever walk back into this church or she could ever have faith or she could ever have joy or ever laugh again. My wife has an infectious laugh. If you've ever heard it, you never forget it. You can pick it out in the room, across the room. And I wondered if we would ever hear her laugh again. But I'll tell you what happened. Some of our friends came to visit us while we were on sabbatical, while we were away recovering. And I was in the other room doing something. And from the other room at the lodge, Chase, I heard that cackle that I know to be my wife's laughter. And joy came because of the community that we're associated with. When heartbreak hits us and heaviness overtakes us, our community of fellowship, our unbreakable bond of breaking bread together, of doing life together. No book can help you. A therapist is great, but what you really need is a friend that has walked with you before and will walk through you with you through that moment. And when you that friend is there, when your family is there, someone is there, you feel joy return. You feel strength return. Why? Because if you have practical relationships, say it with me, practical relationships. Say it with me, practical relationships. Had a man come to this church from another church, ran from a long way off. He stopped me and he caught me in the aisle right over there. And he said, hey, preacher. I said, yes, sir. He said, come to your church. I said, good, great, hallelujah. I knew you was here. God bless you. He said, I just want you to know, I expect to have a friendship with my pastor. In every church I've ever gone to, I've been best friends with my pastor. I said, you need to find another church. He said, Brother Sharp, that's rude. That's me. No, it's impractical. You haven't seen my schedule. I have 13 calendars that overlay each other on Apple. That's not a joke. If I have a meeting that I have to do, I've got it scheduled in August where I'm going to be at a certain time. It's an impractical relationship to come to the Temple Christian Center and expect to be best friends with a pastor. So, well, he's unfriendly. No, I'm not. Ask Nathan Scoggins. He calls me three times a day. I say, hey, how you doing, buddy? I talk to him every day. He is my friend. It's a practical relationship. 
He sharpens me. I sharpen him. I have time for his life. He makes time for my life. We do things as a family together. What you need in an apostolic church is not just to show up at the same building on Sunday. Because if I gave you a quiz, what that lady on the second row's name is, and said, if you fail it, you ain't going to heaven. How many of you go to hell? You see, that's not a practical relationship. It's not practical for you to go over there and hug these people in that section over there because they're in a special needs situation. You see Sister uh, McNeely right now going through a very difficult time. you got a mask on again today. Oh, well, there goes her faith. God love her little heart. She lost her faith last week. She didn't have it on this week. You don't know what her situation is. You have no idea what she's been going through, what she's facing, what you text me and my wife this last week. We've been praying with you. I mean, they don't, you don't know, but when you're in a practical relationship with somebody, you can't force a practical relationship. It becomes a, oh, I can preach, and I'm going to preach in the next few weeks over practical relationships. They broke bread together. They did life together. It is impossible as a church grows for all of us to do life together. But so help you God, you had better find a small group, a, a group of people that you can pray with, uh, you can live with, uh, you can do life. They'll put up with you and you will put up with them. A culture that brings breaking of bread, that brings great joy and generosity, unbreakable unity and true community through doing life together. We close with the second chapter of Acts. And there's no song for this. We're just closing like a lesson, okay? Because that's all I'm doing. I'm just putting it out there. If you can come up with something, Andy, God bless your heart. You are talented. I try to help you. I have on the bottom, you know, is there a song I should suggest on all my sermons? Most times I never even suggest any. Sometimes I do. I got no hope for you on this one. But I can tell you what. I'm leaving it all out there, people. You hear me? I'm putting it all out there. Because more than I'm concerned with how many show up here on Sunday. I'm concerned about your marriage, your mind, your money on Monday. I'm concerned about what, how you're going to make it in the new reality. If Russia crosses that border and U.S. soldiers have to cross over into Europe again. We hadn't done that since cross, uh, uh, Croatia and Bosnia and all of that in the Serbian affair. We haven't done that in your, most of your lifetimes. We haven't done that and we may be doing that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but it doesn't matter what storm comes uh, if we're part of an apostolic culture he will keep me anchored in my storm and he will calm me in my situation so we look back through the eyes of Luke at the origin and the expectations of the apostolic culture the results of the apostolic culture and this is what it sounds like in the New Living Translation a familiar passage to us Pentecostals Acts the second chapter in the 36th verse. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, convicted their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, we're guilty. What should we do? So Peter replied to each of them, you must repent of your sins if you're going to be a part of the apostolic culture. You must repent of your sins 
and turn to God. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and it's to your children and to all those that are afar off and all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners to save yourself from this crooked generation. Say it with me, save myself. Somebody say it, I got to save myself. Say it, church ain't going to save me. Going to the building ain't going to save me. The preacher ain't going to save me. Got to have an apostolic culture that says save myself. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believe what Peter was saying were baptized and added to the church that day. And there were about 3,000 in all. And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of fear, awe, respect, divine respect, one translation says, came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, say it with me, all the believers, met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the, same, at the temple each day. And they met in their homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You see, apostolic culture produces goodness. Goodness, or another word for it is godness, produces gladness. Gladness draws a crowd and produces growth and growth produces a witness to the power of apostolic culture in an individual, in a church body, and in a community. So what do I need to do today to be a part of this apostolic culture? If you're listening or looking in online, you need to recognize that you need to be saved from this untoward generation. You see, the apostolic culture is uniquely positioned for those that understand that this present culture will damn you and is destructive. You need to recognize that you need to be saved from this evil generation, this evil culture. You need to repent. That means you need to turn from the world, your own lustful desires, and you need to turn to God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. It's not real hard, or a lot of rules. It's just total commitment 
an expectation. You can't just halfway turn to God, but you have to love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And once you recognize and repent, then you will receive the gift which comes from God. Because when you're baptized in his name, you receive the authority of the name of Jesus to use the name of Jesus. And when you are filled with this Holy Spirit by calling on the name of Jesus, you are filled with the power of God. So you will receive the power of God through the Holy Spirit and the authority of God through baptism in his name. And then finally, after you've recognized and repented and received, then your job is to replicate, to go ye into all the world and make disciples. Brother Sharp, I didn't go to seminary. I don't know much. I'm not a theologian. I don't know a lot of Bible. How How can I teach somebody about Jesus? I can tell you how. It's very simple. Tell them your testimony. Tell them what Jesus did for you. You may not know how many books are in the Bible. You may not can quote five scriptures. You just know once I was blind. Oh, hallelujah. Can we stand? I feel my helper now. Hallelujah. I once was blind, but now I see. Somebody's needing to hear your story. You don't understand. I was going through my second divorce. And I ran into an apostolic, and they shared their God with me. And and all of a sudden, I began to hope in their God. I don't know what your story is, but this is my story. And I I was on a a broken road, and and one day I found Jesus. And and I don't know what happened, but my wife and and I, we decided to give our hearts to the Lord. Not just go to church, but to love Him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. And as we fell in love with Jesus, we fell back in love with each other. Had a preacher tell me, you don't understand, I just... I don't love my wife anymore. I don't love her anymore. I, I fell out of love with my wife. I, I don't know what happened. I don't love her. And I, I'm having other problems. And I'm looking in other directions. And I don't know what happened. I said, I know what happened. I know what happened to you. He said, you do? I said, yes. You fell out of love with Jesus. You didn't fall out of love with your wife or your husband. You fell out of love with Jesus. Because if you love Jesus, if you fall in love with Jesus, and He is your Father, and He is your source of strength, and He is the Father of all living things, and then you begin to realize, not only is He my Father, but He's my spouse's Father. He's my spouse. Oh, she's part of the same body of Christ that I am. He's part of the same body. I said, you didn't fall out of love with your wife. You fell out of love with Jesus. Because if you fall in love with Jesus, and you really say, God, I'll sacrifice all. I'll give all. I'll do all. And you fall in love with Jesus like that. It's no small thing uh, to get through the hard times uh, and the rough times uh, because he'll walk with you. 
Hallelujah. 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 I'm done. I'm done for today. You're going to hear it over the next four weeks, over and over and over again. But right now, can we fall back in love with Jesus? I couldn't. I don't care what you do on Sunday. I'm concerned about you on Monday. Because you can. I couldn't help you. Help me, God. Help me, God. Help me, God, to create apostolic culture in 2022. Help it start in me. Help it start in me, God. Help it to make its way to this pulpit and then lead it to this pew. Let it not stop with the hearer of this building. But let him take it to the four corners of our city. And our county. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. The Holy Ghost Jesus, yields to him. You, I'm done. I'm done. God's in his place Jesus, by his Holy Spirit. You, I love you because you care. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Yeah. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love Come on, talk to God in this house. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Because you. Not because I feel so. Come on out. Yeah. Not because I've Turn been so good. You've always been there for me to provide my every need. You were there when I was lonely. You were there in all my pain. God is speaking in this place by His Holy Spirit right now. Come on. Shouldn't pass through these places so quickly. God's speaking in this place right now by His Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you as an individual. He's speaking to you as an individual. Hallelujah. You see, this is part of apostolic culture. It's called waiting on the Lord. It's We've, we've worked hard. We've We've worshipped and praised our way into the presence of God. We've prepared our heart for the Word and the Word has found its way into the seed of our soul. And now His Holy Spirit is here just to caress you, secure you, speak to you. Speak to them, Lord. If you're familiar with it, just tell Him, speak to me. If you're unfamiliar with it, I challenge you just where you're sitting, close your eyes and 
Forget about where you're at and who's around you. And say, speak to my heart, God, by your Holy Spirit. I don't know what the preacher's talking about, but I'm hungry and I'm desperate. Come on. He'll minister to you right now. He'll give you a word. And that is why I see. Jesus, I love you. Because you care. I couldn't imagine if you were with there. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Because you care. I couldn't imagine if you were there. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Because you care. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Because you care. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Because you care. Oh, yeah. Jesus, I love you, I love you, yes. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you, because you care. I, I love you. I love apostolic culture. I love it. Truth of the matter, there's only about four elements to it we're going to be discussing over the next couple of weeks and then we're going to conclude in the third week. There's only about four elements of apostolic culture that manifest themselves in many different ways in your life, but there's only about four things you need to learn. You say, well, what is an apostolic? Maybe I should have started with that. I made an assumption. An apostolic or apostolic culture is someone who preaches, teaches, practices, and believes what the apostles taught practiced, lived, and believed. Those apostles who started out as the disciples that walked with Jesus, 11, Judas took his life. Paul would be an apostle born out of due season. Those 12 men produced the apostolic doctrine, gave Peter the rights and the responsibilities with the other apostles to Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And so they produced what we call the apostolic doctrine. It's where the church was born. It's where we get the word church on the day of Pentecost. We don't know anything about church before that day. The ecclesia, the called out ones. They had no buildings. They had no steeples. They had no institutions. There was no clergy. No organizations. They were just people that kept the tenets of the apostolic faith till it became their value base and then they passed it on to their children 
and their children's children. And they shared it with their neighbor. And they shared it on their job. And if they went to the four corners of the world, they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that culture, that apostolic culture, started from the blood that flowed from Calvary's hill, crumbled and cracked. The greatest dynasty and empire that had ever been created, the Roman Empire, so powerful that they had defeated all of their foes. But somehow or another, there was something missing. And stepping into that scene and filling that void in the hearts of men and women in a Roman world that was rich and increased with goods and had nothing, stepped the humble tenants of the apostolic faith. And when they walked into their world, sin had to leave. Miracles started happening. And the gospel of Jesus Christ was proclaimed throughout the world. If we're going to survive and thrive and make it to our reward, it's going to be because we re-embrace our foundation. The lights don't work. COVID comes again. Another variant, a war, rumors of wars. It doesn't matter as long as we have apostolic culture that will keep us and secure us. Let's lift our hands one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these precious people that have spent this time today investing in their eternity, God. Seeking you and worshiping you, Lord, and learning of you, God, and loving their brothers and their sisters, and loving those that are around them. God, we pray that you might be glorified in our life so that the world would see it and want to know what's going on in here. What's going on with them? And they'd want to taste and see, God, that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Praise God. Praise God. I encourage you to find a friend. Amen. I encourage you to find a friend. And I hope that you didn't misunderstand what I was doing with this gentleman over here. He, every church he'd ever come from was a church of about 40 or 50 people. And he, he had been right there... A, Going to breakfast every morning with the pastor and doing that. Amen. As a church grows, you, you create households. The Bible calls them oikoses or households. And those groups, those fears, we're going to talk about that. That's, uh, this is my cousins over here. That's my aunt over there. Aunt Tiny, I haven't been to your house in years. I love to go to your house. I, I know. I know I'm always welcome. Amen. I know it. I love it. Aunt Tiny's house is always awesome. She's always going to have gospel music playing in the background and always going to be talking about the things of God. Hadn't been to her house in years. Don't mean I don't love her. Don't mean I'm not friendly. Amen. Practical, responsible relationships. You had better have them. You had better build them. You had better invest in them. Practical, responsible relationships. That's where you're going to find your fellowship, your friendship, your joy, your strength. You're going to find the apostolic community there. God bless.